Well here, um, I think we're going to go ahead and kick off. So, uh, hello, welcome to this IFG Labour Party Conference event on how a future Labour government should deepen and extend devolution in England. Thanks very much to Grant Thornton for making this event possible. I'm Emma Norris, I'm the Deputy Director of the Institute for Government. Now, here at IFG, we've been working on English devolution for some time, um, where and how it works best, what it should look like next, and most recently, we've we produced a practical guide on the art of devolution deals looking particularly at the somewhat neglected topics of how to negotiate and implement effective deals. So do, uh, do have a look for that on our website. Now, devolution is obviously a topic right at the heart of Labour's plans for government. Labour's committed to an ambitious programme of devolution across England, should it return to power next year or early the year after, depending on when the uh, election takes place. Um, Keir Starmer has promised a take-back control bill, giving communities across the country the right to draw down powers from Whitehall over transport, the economy, public services and more. But I think it's fair to say that the party has yet to confirm precisely how it would deliver on that promise or exactly which powers would be on offer to which places. So this event is really to explore exactly that as Labour starts developing its plans for devolution as part of its pitch to govern. I'm delighted to have an absolutely fantastic panel here with me to talk about this, and a rather large panel too, so we're going to try and make sure there's as much time as possible for audience questions. I've got Paula Barker, MP, the Shadow Minister for Devolution in English Regions. Paula is obviously in hot demand at conference, so I'm going to talk to Paula first, and then she's going to have to run off, and then we'll come to the rest of uh, the rest of the panel. But also with me, I've got Simon Christian, who's the director for public service consulting at Grant Thornton. Richard Parker, uh, a Labour candidate in 2024 to be the mayor of the West Midlands. Jess Stubbert, the deputy uh, chief executive of the new local think tank. Jack Shaw, uh, who is um, a senior research fellow. I think they've got right, Jack, at IPPR. Fantastic. And Akash Pawn, who is a program director at the Institute for Government and leads all our work on devolution. So, Paula, I'm going to come to you first. I think you're going to talk us through Labour's strategy for devolution and how we're going to go about devolving further powers and funding across England. So, please, thank you very much. Can everybody hear me? Yeah, fabulous. Um, it's really nice to see some uh, familiar faces in the audience. Hello, George. <laughs> um, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Um, and it's fantastic to be on a panel with uh, Richard Parker, our candidate for the West Mids Metro Mayor. And I very much, very much look forward to uh, Richard being in post and uh, adding to our Metro Mayor cohort and working with you in the months and years ahead, Richard. Um, so, obviously, I'm a member of Parliament for Liverpool Wavertree, and you are in my home city. You are very welcome here. I hope you're having a wonderful time and uh, enjoying the best that our city has to offer. Um, and Emma is quite right that since I was appointed to this brief in September, my inbox has faced just an absolute barrage of invitations, um, given the far-reaching interest in this area and the importance. So I do apologise because I hate coming to fringes and then speaking and then literally touching out. So uh, please uh, accept my apologies. So um, the question is, how should a future Labour government deepen and extend devolution across the whole of England? So we are committed to deepening and extending devolution across all of England in all its regional, economic and cultural diversity. 
And there's a moral and economic imperative in doing so, and indeed any route to victory uh, in the forthcoming general election is through all the English regions. And Labour's Take Back Control Act will be a key pillar in doing that and in realising our ambition, our, our ambition in this regard. Um, so there will be uh, a new settlement combining the economic and constitutional, um, because effective devolution is hard to deliver without the two going hand in hand. Um, and it will provide the framework and process for economic devolution to towns and cities across England, building on the work of the future of the UK Commission. The Act will also put in place the recommendation by the future of the UK Commission that there should be a constitutional requirement to rebalance the UK's economy and equalise living standards across the country over time. And the future of the UK Commission identified several potential new clusters in exciting growth industries across the UK. There was life sciences in Darlington, robotics in Manchester, and 18 potential net zero clusters are just some of the examples that we will be looking at in the months ahead as we develop our policy in this area. And the job of the opposition, myself, Angela, and the entire Deluxe team is to flesh out um, all of those issues further in the coming period and put more meat on the bones, if you like. So we will move into new terrain, taking devolution into the community space by devolving powers directly to communities, with new power on things like the right to buy in terms of community assets, with longer periods afforded to communities to raise funds in order to protect things like football clubs, historic buildings. Currently, uh, community groups have six months to um, try and buy a community asset, and we will lengthen that period to 12 months. And Labour is resolutely, resolutely committed to completing the devolution map, and we will work at pace in doing so. And too many areas could be left further behind if we don't get our skates on, obviously, in delivering bespoke deals um, for that work for individual localities. And I've already been speaking to lots of areas who um, are in the process of devolution deals, um, a lot of them are very problematic because it will come as no surprise that the tier three deals have all been done um, and uh, what's left behind is quite problematic. But as I've said, constitutional arrangements will not be imposed from the centre. And by way of an example, we are looking to remove the requirements for directly elected mayors at tier three, which I know is causing some contention up and down the English regions. And as an opposition, we are exploring what an enhanced level three deal could potentially look like a potential level four style deal which could go further than the current trailblazer deals that we've currently got in place in the likes of Greater Manchester and the West Midlands respectively. And therefore, and with all this in mind, the Take Back Control Act will establish clear and timely frameworks for local, local leaders to request, negotiate and take on several powers over economic policy making. And the next Labour government will establish processes towards devolving power and will set out the process by which local leaders can create partnerships and negotiate for new powers and there will be a duty on the next government to respond to such requests in a timely manner.
So we now have very real examples of the potential of devolved regulations. We've seen anti um, anti Burnham in Greater Manchester re-regulating uh, local bus services. Um, and on Friday, uh, my own Metro Mayor here, Steve Rotherham, did the same. And years ago, the thought of doing that outside, outside of London was merely a pipe dream. And Andy and Steve have brought that into reality. And I know that other regions will look to follow suit now. So power in the hands of progressive leaders really does have the potential to transform towns and cities for the better. And that is how Labour will rebuild or build our country from the bottom up, not the top down, as we have seen so often. And unlike this government, the current concept of levelling up is to dole out in a humble styles manner. Um, Pots of money on a whim, leaving resources starved locally, um, the local authorities stuck in never-ending bidding cycles um, after their basic service provision has been smashed and the public realm decimated after 13 years of Conservative rule. So this rebuild requires an end to thinking that Whitehall knows best, because quite frankly it doesn't, and a government with fresh ideas that is willing to enable and empower and Labour will deliver on that promise. And one of the things um, that stuck with me in my old brief when I was the Shadow Minister for Homelessness and Rough Sleeping, when I visited a Housing First project in Greater Manchester, I spoke to a gentleman called Adrian, and we spoke about the difference it had made to his life and the fact he'd got back on track, he got back in touch with his children, and um, he was living um, a really, really uh, good life. And we talked about hope because lots of people talk about hope and the hope of a Labour government on the horizon. They said, you know, hope is great, Paula, but what we want is a future. And what I can tell everyone in this room today is that an incoming Labour government will give every person in this room and every person in this country the future that they so richly deserve. Thank you. Well, have you got time for a question or two, or do you need to run? I really do have to. That's absolutely so, fine. so sorry. I feel like I should be um, one of the gremlins where you call the water on you and, and then you multiply. Um, <laughs> although I don't know whether that would be particularly desirable having several of me walking about, but never mind. I do really apologise. I hope to see you all again soon. And um, please, if you do have questions, just email my parliamentary account and I'll do my best to pick those questions up. And Richard, I'll be in touch Thank and uh, we'll see you, see you soon. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Paula. In which case, Richard, I'm going to come to you next. And um, so Paula has kind of set out, you know, a high-level vision for what the next stage of devolution looks like under Labour. It's talked about removing the requirement for, for mayors at a, a tier three. And I suppose I want to start by asking you, how do you think Labour should go about kind of extending and deepening uh, devolution? And what do you make of, of what Paula has set out? Okay, so I, I remain, uh, and I am very optimistic about the future. Um, over the last month or so, uh, Sue, Sue, Sue Gray, Keir, all the mayors and Angela Rayner have had two quite extensive meetings talking about um, Labour's approach to devolution and supporting the regions and addressing some of the, the challenges we face uh, in our economies outside London. Um, 
it's not happened before. It's a great sign, a signal of intent, I think. And we're having really robust conversations about the direction of travel and the commitment Labour want to make uh, to further devolution, recognising, as Paula said, that um, too many decisions uh, made in Westminster and Whitehall uh, um, don't recognise some of the, the, um, the peculiarities, the differences, the idiosyncrasies of some of the regions. So I'm not optimistic. I'm particularly optimistic about Labour's plans for more devolved funding and decision-making around skills. I'll come back to that. Uh, I'm really pleased that there's going to be a commitment to devolving more, if not all, of um, Homes England's funding for affordable housing and a far greater emphasis uh, for mayors to work with local authorities or requirement to work with local authorities to deliver more social housing. So there's a real recognition of that. And that is a mode of housing that is almost impossible to deliver under the current government uh, arrangements. And, um, and we are starting in the... Um, as a result of the mess of last week's Tory conference in HS2, to start to have substantive conversations about Labour's priorities, both nationally, regionally and locally around, around transport, and not falling into the trap of, uh, if you're almost like passively filling the hole that the, the, the Tories want us to fill around regional priorities. So I'm optimistic. Um, but I want to say a couple of other things, and I think the direction of travel and single park funding is important, but behaviours are important too, and I plan to be a very different mayor to Andy Street. Andy sees himself in this elevated position where he is, you know, making decisions on machine laterally to the extent that him and Michael Gove wanted to bring Warwickshire into the combined authority. Uh, we stopped that, but they're also prepared through levelling up bills to give Andy Street unilateral decision making over Warwickshire to come in or not. So that was the Tories' approach to this. But there's something else about the way he works. Um, and Andy Burnham, uh, I spoke to him many months ago about the mayoral role and how different it is to Westminster, just talked about he spends most of his time convening now. The real powers of the mayor are about still remain about soft powers and how you work with some of those key institutions around. And I've made a commitment that I do want to spend all the combined authorities' resources, apart from those that I've got statutory responsibilities for, through and with other institutional organisations in the West Midlands as quickly as possible, so it can have impact uh, as quickly as possible. And that's really important to me. I'm not trying to create a new bureaucracy uh, in the centre of the West Midlands uh, sort of uh, local government landscape, but also. Uh, I don't want any strategy people at the combined authority that haven't got delivery responsibility. So my focus is going to be from the outset absolutely on delivery, um, but it's so important to me that that delivery is defined by and designed with all the key institutions across the West Midlands. That includes local authorities, it includes FE colleges, it includes housing associations, it includes universities. And the reason why that is so important is at the moment, although else we've got and hopefully more devolved powers and responsibilities from um, from Whitehall, we're still in a position whereby I'm not confident uh, at all that the current man will make the right decisions about the right priorities for the West Midlands. And I say that against you know, two, two backdrops. On the cancellation of, of, of HS2 and the antics last week, when Andy Street talked about the problems for West Midlands, he talked about the fact that the cancellation um, and the, can the, the Tories cancelling the future, which were his words, not mine, his issues around the cancellation would be the impact on business. 
my view would be he should have concentrated more on the impact that had on the people and the communities in the West Midlands rather than simply uh, inward investors. But there's something else. There's not enough focus on training and skills coming in the West Midlands and the system is dysfunctional. I'll just end here. And this is why this is so important for me and become my number one priority. We still have almost a quarter of the workforce in the West Midlands with low and low skills. That blights people's lives and means that they're going to forever have low-paid jobs and suffer from the vulnerabilities and anxieties that come with that. So overhauling the skills system so it works for everyone and gives everyone the best opportunity life is really important. And it's the only way we can truly grow our economy fairly. And the extent of the problem, uh, I think is illustrated by an example, there's a great EV tech business in the West Midlands that needs to uh, recruit around 1,000 people over the next uh, 12 to 15 months. There's not one FE college in the West Midlands providing skills that are needed for, for those jobs. Um, and that's because the government are funding colleges with the resources that it needs to run those courses. But even more significantly, those colleges can't even recruit or retain the lecturers it needs now because they're going back into industry. So if we address those fault lines, I think we can make a big difference. It's not just about devolved powers. I think it's about those with devolved powers making the right and better decisions. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Simon, I'm going to come to you next. Um, same question. I'm going to ask the same question to, to every panel member to kick off. And um, what do you think Labour should be doing to deepening and to deepen and uh, extend devolution in England? Thanks, Emma. So I, th I think there's a there's a temptation sometimes with devolution to uh, to look at the the issue through all of the existing areas that are already engaged in the conversation, rather than through the lenses of actually what we want local governance to look like as a country. And I think, in terms of deepening devolution itself, I think what Labour should start with is coming to a real clear view of what its expectation of local governance is at a regional, sub-regional and local level, because it's only at that point when you've got a really clear articulation of what local governance looks like at that level that you can have a conversation about how autonomous those places and organisations can be in terms of the spheres of power that Richard's just mentioned. So, you know, at the moment, we've got a structure that is very hierarchical. It is very command and control. And generally, that results in the policy and strategy being developed in the centre and delivery being delegated to the local. And when you sort of compound that with the financial challenges of the public sector and you sort of look at the sort of the erosion of public finance over the last 13 years, how do you get to a place where people can really think meaningfully about devolution? I was talking to a city last night, 86% of their budget, their revenue budget each year is being spent on social care. So how can that place have a meaningful conversation about economic growth, about dealing with uh, sort of socio-economic inequality, dealing with housing delivery, thinking about transport infrastructure? It can't. And simply imposing sort of a combined authority with a mayor on top of it isn't going to solve that solution. So you can't think about devolution in isolation. It can't just be through the existing framework. Everyone cried out for a new framework. And actually what we've ended up with is a framework that just looks to replicate central government in local places through schemes of delegation. And ultimately, that needs really addressing in the short term. So I think there's some fairly quick sort of thinking pieces of work that need to happen in advance of the action that will just set the country up for the long term, really, around devolution and how it can really sort of expand out across the much broader population and start to speak to a much broader range of the country. Thank you, Simon. 
Jess, I'm going to come to, to you next. Um, what should, should what would you like to hear from Labour? And I also wonder if you could particularly pick up on the point that Simon's just made around you know, 86% of the budget of some local authorities going on social care and MCI isn't going to solve that. What do local institutions really need? Sure, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I agree also with the kind of framing that it's good to take a step back from Devo. I think Devo um, can sometimes be seen as an end in itself um, rather than kind of a, a, a having a big, a clear idea about what um, you're actually trying to achieve with it and obviously Labour inherit a particular policy of devolution and there is a real opportunity to take a step back and think what's the kind of purpose um, New Local actually published a report a couple of weeks ago um, led um, co-authored by seven Labour council leaders which set out a Labour vision for community power with sort of devolution and power being redistributed across the system at its heart and from a kind of Labour perspective I do think there's, an, there's a need to see how devolution is a kind of route to achieving some of its enduring missions in the current context that we find ourselves in the 2020s at extreme inequality and poverty um kind of obviously years of um under under resourced public services but also in a kind of post-pandemic environment where we need to think about resilience to, to local areas we need to think about a new a different kind of more adaptive form of statecraft that allows people to kind of respond to the particular circumstances of their places um so it's sort of needs to come out of the box of being kind of a wrangle of zero-sum power throughout the system and actually how do you govern for these times um, and for Labour in particular uh, recognition that the most deprived communities are often the most powerless in our society and most kind of buffeted by the system so how do you how do you genuinely give people more power um, and so then you get into a conversation about the sort of function rather than just the form of devolution which it has been um, largely today but it's absolutely right and it, um, the question about social care and how we use public spend I think if you look back to the first um, wh where devolution as we know it came from was a Labour authority Greater Manchester um, and they always talked about public service re reform as the other side of the coin to economic growth and that's the harder bit so it's kind of become a an economic growth thing and it's become something that is tightly framed by what particular central government departments are prepared to cede rather than how you would create a different a different way of doing government in local areas but also fund funding sort of flowing in different areas but meanwhile you have got some sort of place-based reform going on through the national health service with integrated care systems so you have got a sort of system approach to um, the health service but it's completely decoupled from devolution policy as we know it which is an economic development thing so I, d I, I thought it was great what Paula was saying and it, clearly there is a real kind of desire to pick up uh, what they will inherit and really kind of turbocharge and think differently um, but I think they will inherit a very complex messy kind of landscape and there's a lot to be done to to make kind of effective place-based policy much more logical thanks jess akash um over to you what do you make of, uh, of what paul said and what would you like to see next having studied this agenda for for many years thanks emma um, great to be here so i mean i think from the ifg perspective We've tried to take uh, where possible a sort of half glass, half full view of what the government has done on devolution. Because I do think they've got some things right in terms of the creation of metro mayors and combined authorities, the commitment to deepen powers through trailblazer deals, and so on. Um, but it's very clear that um, devolution is 
a, a job half done at best. And I think there's a real opportunity there for Labour to, to put in place a more coherent and comprehensive settlement. And I'm just very welcome to hear the, the obvious commitment from uh, from Paulo and, and, and others, obviously, such as Angela Rayner. Um, and in terms of the specific elements of what I think a Labour strategy to to get to that more coherent settlement should be, I think I think there's three key aspects of th three ways to look at it. I mean, so first of all, devolution is obviously incomplete in a literal sense geographically. There's a set of new devolution deals going through now. Even if all of those happen by by next year as planned, half the country will be left out. And and, and I think you know the principle, starting principle, should be that all places should at least have the opportunity to, to try and take on the extra powers, funding flexibility, and, and have that strong voice that, that devolution brings to places like Liverpool and uh, Greater Manchester and the West Midlands. So, so I think that's, that's a key part of it. Um, the second thing is that, as we've also started to hear, I mean, the existing devolution deals have absolutely, um, you know, transferred some, some useful levers. We heard about the buses example um, from, from Paul a few minutes ago. But the powers and the funding are very much partial and fragmented. Um, Simon was talking about the funding model and others have mentioned it as well as really constraining the ability of local leaders to join up the little bits of control they have over skills and transport and housing and infrastructure in a coherent strategic way. So I, I think the, the objective must be to move beyond that towards something a bit more like what Scotland and Wales have, where there's devolution of whole functional areas um, that doesn't prevent central government from getting involved at a, at a national level, but you shift the default in those core areas, those core drivers of economic, local economic performance to, to, to devolution and, and the funding, funding reform is, is absolutely central to that. And then the, the third key part of this, um, which again has been touched upon, but, but where I think there's been little uh, thinking done uh, due to the sort of uh, ad hoc deal-making approach to devolution is about the constitutional status of English devolved and, and local government. And again, I think the comparison with, with Scotland and Wales is stark. You know, devolution of Scotland and Wales um, is recognised in law as a permanent part of the constitution. There, there absolutely is that, you know, devolved by default um, principle set out in legislation through the reserve powers model. There's formal mechanisms for joint working, dispute resolution, um, and we have the convention that the UK government seeks consent before acting in, in devolved areas. None of that, um, none of those rights and protections exist for English devolved and local government. And, and I think um, there's an opportunity for, for, for Labour to start to change some of that. So those for me are, are some of the key areas and really great to hear so much interest and, and commitment to this agenda. Thank you. Thank you. Jack, what would you like to see next from Labour? I mean, I would 
agree um, with what the panel said so far. I think what we clearly need to do is go beyond the deal-making process and we need some more strategic coherence about the fundamental question about how England is governed. Practically, I think that means, uh, as a start for 10, three, three things. One of them we heard uh, in Paula's um, speech, which I think was really useful. That was about the nature of the devolution framework and the tiered system and building on that so that there is more powers that are on offer. And second related to that is that there's clear mechanisms for those places that aren't getting those powers. And that includes places that haven't established combined authorities, but also places like the West of England, where they may have created mayors, but actually they aren't moving in the same direction or at the same trajectory as places like Manchester. So that's, that's the first point. The second point is accountability and that broader framework. And that's really in flux at the moment. We need to remember that mayors are, are relatively new institutions. They're immature, but they're maturing quickly. And as a result, I think more work needs to be done on that to give reassurance to Whitehall. And I think the net gain there is that combined authorities are going to be well equipped to secure those additional powers if Whitehall feels that they are responsible and responsive. And then the third point really is, is slightly more kind of psychological and fundamental, I think, which is to say at present, most combined authorities are essentially asking for powers, getting them, going back and asking for powers, and this process is repeating. And what Greater Manchester and West Midlands have begun to do quite well is to say, actually, let's leave the powers aside for a moment. What we want is more decision-making responsibilities, and we want to be able to co-design those powers before we receive them. And I think that's, that's where we need to move this conversation on towards, similar to a place, as Akash mentions, where entire policy domains are devolved and they have a huge amount of flexibility to deliver on those. Thanks, Jack. Jack, I think one of the things in NPPR you've done quite a lot of work on is funding pots and the kind of mess that uh, the Whitehall has made of some of those funding pots so far. How radical do you think Labour should be on, on funding reform and fiscal devolution? So I think the, the single settlement is a good start. Uh, I suspect we might see some detail in that in the autumn statement about how that might um, actually work. And that's, that's tied with the with the accountability that I mentioned. In terms of the broader incoherence of the, the funding streams, I think much of that applies to local government more so than combined authorities. And, and there's often an interesting tension here. You'll hear lots of local leaders uh, say that on the one hand, they can't afford to clean the streets. And on the other hand, combined authorities will be coming to them saying, hey, we've got huge capital programs to you know, remake the whole street. And there's an interesting tension there that's not been reconciled. And I think part of that is recognising that the viability of combined authorities is contingent on the, the resilience of, of the local authorities of which they're a part of. And so fixing that funding landscape, rationalising that is a really important uh, priority. The government, in fairness, has begun to move in that direction, but not quick enough um, only this week we saw new funds for chess tables, for example, <laughs> really small um, amounts of money, which which don't do councils or places any service, and we need to move beyond that. Thanks, Jack. Richard, um, you know, Paul mentioned the take back control bill. This is uh, Labour's kind of you know headline promise piece of legislation in this space. What would you like to see in that bill? Um, what would help? 
everything's forward. Okay, uh, uh, reasonably quick. Certainly, uh, across the three main areas I mentioned, uh, we'd like some more develop funding, but also the great ability to make decisions around what our, 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 our regional, sub-regional priority should be. Uh, the West Midlands is, you know, not an homogenous place, uh, and probably less homogenous than Manchester and Liverpool. Three distinct parts of it, the Black Country, Birmingham, and sorry, Honey Coventry. Um, and no one, if you knock on the doorstep, sees themselves as coming from, or very few people from the West Midlands. They'll describe where they come from as the place they live, uh, the borough, the town, the city, uh, and they say UK, Great Britain, yet before they get to the West Midlands. So um, I think that in itself explains part of the challenge uh, is that um, that we need resources and we need to be able to target those resources, make decisions, uh, different decisions, different parts parts of the region with different history and heritage. Um, so that's really, really important for me. Um, there's just something else. Um, I've got no issue with the, the responsibilities and the powers within the current government framework and all that sitting with the leaders of local councils because that should encourage a mayor to work really, really collaboratively with them. But I do think um, whether it's to be set nationally or, um, or, or locally, I do think we need to look at governance within, within combined authorities. We've got a rather tortuous system in the West Midlands um, and it's not the fact that all the leaders need to um, approve major measures. It's just the fact that um, it takes too long to make decisions and uh, we need uh, to be able to implement stuff far more quickly. Uh, but again, I'll come back to the behaviours bits. Currently, the aims and objectives of the combined authority in West Midlands are separate and distinct from the aims and objectives of the priorities of the local authority. So going back to what's been said to the right of me on the table, um, you know, the premise I think we're building on the West Midlands currently is wrong. There needs to be far more integration. And my approach will be to build up the aims and objectives of the combined authority bottom up from the priorities of the key institutions in the West Midlands. That's not me being passive and just saying, well, I want to do is aggregate what you're doing, but the best way to deliver regional-wide uh, solutions on housing for skills and for transport is actually working really collaboratively with the key, the key institutions, and that's not happening now. So a bit of it is about more funding and more powers uh, to make decisions around that funding locally, but it's also about the way in which the decision-making framework and the constitution works on the ground too. Thanks, Richard. Simon, you, you highlighted some of the kind of the problems that a mayoral model can't overcome. Um, how should Labour kind of therefore go about ensuring that local places have the capacity they need, the kind of institutions they need to make a success of devolution? Thanks, Emma. Uh, simple question. Uh, so I, I suppose well, so it's got a number of different sides to it, really. So in terms of uh, the, the, the strategy, I think in terms of um, a fundamental pillar of any future legislation has got to be uh, around removing the presumption that policy and strategy should be delivered by uh, the centre. And ultimately, that local services, public services, public strategy, growth strategy should be delivered as close to local communities as possible as a defining sort of principle and then working back from that point. Now, Obviously, I mentioned the uh, sort of the financial sort of peril earlier on in terms of local government, and given that they are the foundations upon which uh, and the constituent authorities of combined authorities, they need to be on a secure and sustainable footing uh, for the long term. Now, that looks means sort of really thinking quite 
deeply around fiscal devolution as well as devolution of powers and services and responsibilities. Now, you know, that means deep thinking about things that are complex, you know, council tax, business rates, uh, local income tax collection, all of those types of issues, redistribution, you know, they're challenging conversations to have uh, across the country when every place is facing individual issues, but we can't really shy away from them at the moment when, uh, you know, you're having conversations about local tax collection around council tax and trying to explain to people that they are set on uh, rates in 1991. It just doesn't make sense in terms of some of the local powers for people to fund local services. So until you really enshrine some, uh, and, and deal with some of those fundamental issues, you can't put in place the policy building blocks. So you deal with long-term financing, you start to extend that horizon where places can start to think more than one year out, which is the circumstances at the moment in terms of some funding settlements, but actually start to think about five, 10, 15 years away. And then when you start to think in those sort of blocks, places can get really creative about actually how they start to build communities, start to put in place some real fundamental plans and start to build momentum around that. Now, of course, central government has a role a climate control kind of role in that in terms of making sure that the places are accountable the money's being spent really well but ultimately it needs to facilitate that freedom and certainty for places to be able to think in that way so until we deal with some of those unique fiscal challenges that are facing the country we're not going to deal with any of those issues and you know they are substantial and we can't shy away from them i was speaking to another authority the other day the backlog maintenance of its roads alone was valued at half a billion pounds. Its annual, its annual capital expenditure on uh, maintenance of its public infrastructure was 300 million. So that's everything that it has to do. So just trying to reconcile those bits around stopping the roads from crumbling and keeping schools up and running and all, all the other public infrastructure that's around, that's the scale of challenge that's sort of facing the country. And that's gonna be everywhere. And places have stopped counting as well, we can say that, because not everywhere even knows what that value is. So how do we start to get all of that on the table and have a really sort of good conversation about what we need to sort of grow in the future? Jess, New Local works very closely with uh, lots of local authorities. Does what Simon's just described kind of resonate with you? Is that what you're hearing from local authorities as well? Yeah, I mean, so uh, there's a there's a lot of things there. Absolutely, I think one of the one of the challenges is local authorities have se obviously seen their budgets decline over over the last uh, fifteen years. But what that's meant is that there's been a withdrawal of funding for lots of early intervention and preventative fun uh, uh, activity, youth services, um, early interventions for families and support, and um, obviously social care is under enormous pressure, um, and we're seeing the consequences of that play out in um, greater demand for emergency uh, provision, um, hospitals, mental health, uh, greater greater um, pressure on our kind of services of last emergency resort. And that's a really expensive model of creating demand right at the most expensive acute end of the system. So I think one of the frustrations from the local authority perspective is you're often told, oh, you know, um, not sure about capacity or capability and, you know, uh, uh, how, how can we show account? Accountability, but there's no kind of accountability backup system for the enormous cost consequences of the failures of centralization and the failures of seeing public finance fundamentally through the prism of different silos. You'll cut each silo separately and not understand the kind of knock-on knock-on consequences of uh, of how of how in places that's creating 
uh, more spend in some areas. So I think there's, I think devolution can be said more money to be devolved locally. I think there's also a be- there's a how how do we spend public money more effectively, um, and how do we give local authorities working with public service partners and crucially with communities and people themselves more power and autonomy in sort of single pot. The, you know the principle of single pot is great, but how can you kind of create that from a, you know all domestic spending departments and then build much better preventative out of hospital uh, in community based provision um, that that helps people live healthier, better lives for longer and stops so much pressure in the public purse as a kind of moral case and a, and a financial case. Um, I feel like I have to say something about fiscal devolution as well because it's been mentioned, but um, again, with fiscal devolution, it kind of seems this big, scary thing. Um, but it's, we've got to remember it's the norm in many countries that we would consider our peers. Um, we're highly unique to just be talking about council tax and uh, business rates. Um, other countries function very well having um, something like um, an element of VAT or an element of local um, income tax of income tax kept locally. So again, it's not about creating more taxes. It would be about retaining some taxes locally. And I actually think there's a strong kind of political argument, local people to retain a bit more money that is generated in their areas for direct uh, decision-making over, over things they value. Of course, with then robust equalisation across the country, because we're obviously highly unbalanced and the, the, st- the starting point is extreme inequality regionally. Um, but again, that's, you know, it's, it's quite normal for other countries like Denmark, where Copenhagen is this big kind of uh, uh, city and, 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 and the rest. It's very normal to have um, systems of equalisation. But over time, that means you just generate much, much mature level of local governance throughout the system. So it's really understanding that's that sort of scale. What's right done nationally at that strategic combined authority level? And you're saying the West Midlands, you know, what? How, how do people understand that there is a strategic level of governance down to local and then crucially down to neighbourhoods and communities and for communities themselves to have a series of rights? And Paula mentioned about um, the kind of right to own assets locally. Um, but Labour could think much better about um, a whole series of rights for communities to participate in decisions that affect them, to shape the public services they use. So you've got that kind of pull. We say kind of bottom up. It's like it's like that pull of power and decision making across the system. So it's not all just kind of at the behest of whatever government minister happens to be in post at that point. Brilliant. Thank you, Jess. Right, we've got about twenty minutes left, so I want to go out to audience questions now. Great, lots of them. I'm going to take them in groups of three. Uh, there's a mic coming round. If you could please uh, tell us your name and which organisation uh, you're from. I'll take one here, one here, and one here. I'll come is that mic on? Hello. Yeah. Right, thank you. Um, my name is Jacob. I'm from the from West Midlands, and my question was literally: um, What is the combine authority going to do for care leavers? As it's a really big thing, and um, with the regional inequality growing, I'm just wondering that. Is it something that maybe the combined authority will look at taking into it into account overall, and maybe looking at an oversight of it? Because I know a lot of uh, local authorities, especially Surrey Hall, have um, seen their budget cut by the Tories, which means they can't do as much for care leavers, and it's something which we need to really focus on because. Uh, 60% of care leavers leave uh, education with no qualifications and can't get a job and end up going homeless or, yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you. Hello there. Oh. <laughs> I'm uh, Conrad Whitcroft. I'm a member of the City of York Council, and uh, I'm sure many of you are aware that we're about to enter a new combined authority with North Yorkshire and York. York um, just went Labour in, in May. North Yorkshire, of course, a very conservative area. The Prime Minister has his parliamentary seat there. I'm just asking for, for some advice, really. How do you work with a new combined authority, and particularly with uh, different local authorities that are the political makeup is, is very different of um, because we're starting soon and I think we need to crack on with it, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Dan Cochran from Arcadis. Um, we've seen the profile and relevance of Metro Mayors grow over the last few years. As Akash said, it's a relatively immature uh, post, but they've started to, to grow in prominence, not least during COVID with the challenging of COVID restrictions. And even last week in Manchester, where both Andy Burnham and Andy Street stood up against um, the HS2 decision. Obviously, uh, a large proportion of the mayors are Labour, and if Richard gets his way, there'll be one more. Um, so I'm wondering if that is a benefit to Labour nationally, or is it a risk to Labour nationally that you've got very, very prominent, high-profile uh, leaders in the regions who are campaigning for their own local priorities, which may not always chime with national priorities? Thank you. Okay, Richard, I'm going to come to you first, both on the, is it a benefit or a risk to have a very high-profile local leaders, but also this, um, what can combined authorities do for, for care leavers question? Okay, um, I'll take the care leavers one first, and what I'll say, Jacob, yeah, let's speak outside this event to talk about some of this, but as I said, one of my priorities is addressing some of the fault lines in our society that restrict social mobility, yep, and... Um, and uh, undermine young people, particularly reaching their full potential. So, you know, what you're discussing is aspect of that. Now, we can talk about how we might build a response to that in my manifesto. On um, on mayors, well, look, we live in democracy. Yeah, the electorate will decide uh, who represents them at, at local level. Um, I, my, my priority will be twofold and be open about this. I've got to, um, well, threefold. Uh, best represent the region. Uh, uh, if, if I'm elected, um, to do that, I've got to work with all the council leaders in the West Midlands in a really, really effective way. Uh, I need to make sure those behaviours are right, in my view, need to be better than they are now under the current mayor. And I've got to work with the party in Westminster. And my job was to make sure that is as streamlined uh, as possible and I will work my hardest to remove any fault lines that exist. It doesn't mean there won't be differences, but those of us, and I spent all my, most of my life in business, the best way to resolve those problems are privately um, before you make announcements like that happened last week, which were uh, you know, not very good for West Midlands. In two views, there was a lot more for West Midlands than HS2. And, um, and the abandonment of HS2 doesn't risk the future of, of the West Midlands or any other part of the region what we need other solutions. So I, I hope that it's helpful to Labour. Uh, they are backing me. And one of the reasons for me doing this and believe that you know, the best alignment is to have a Labour mayor in the West Midlands working with Labour councils and the Labour government is, frankly, for the first time for more than a generation we can give people in West Midlands and hope, hope that their lives can be better, hope that their families have a future here, and hope that the places where they live have a better future too. Thank you, Richard. Jack, I'll just come to you on this question about benefits or risk for Labour and having very prominent local figures. What do you, um, what do you think? Yeah, so... I think both um, from different perspectives. Uh, so 
I think it's really helpful in some respects for Labour to be able to point to mayors and say, look at what they're delivering. And actually, hopefully we're moving in the direction where we're going to focus more on outcomes and what mayors are actually achieving over time once they, these powers have been embedded. But from a, a national perspective, uh, perspective, I think there, there can sometimes be challenges with message discipline and the idea that, as you've suggested, some prominent metro mayors are asking for things that perhaps are not in alignment with Labour's message on fiscal restraint, for example. Uh, and so that can be a challenge. And that in some ways represents a kind of real tension in devolution, which is to say that part of the whole purpose of devolving is recognising that places will do things that you might not necessarily agree with, but you agree with their principle to do them. And so there's a real question about appetite for labour and political risk uh, around the question of, of that, I think. Akash, um, you've just written The Art of the Deal uh, on devolution deals. What advice do you have on how to, uh, to work with new combined authorities? Yeah, thanks. The Art of the Devolution Deal, to differentiate ourselves from the, from the Donald Trump book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although that was obviously slightly deliberate to, to help with search engine optimization. <laughs> but yeah, so um, th thanks, Emma. I mean, I think, uh, so where's the chat from? Yes, from, from York. Um, it is a, I think that is a difficult one <laughs> in terms of the starting point. I mean, the, you know, most of the combined authorities that exist so far, that have been created so far, are uh, city region based, you know, a group of, of, of boroughs uh, in and around a single or sometimes a couple of different urban hubs. But uh, York and North Yorkshire is geographically huge. There's only two councils there. Um, you're adding this new tier in a sense, then you've got the party political dynamics. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd be very happy to chat in more detail about how, what you're going, what, what you're actually um, trying to do. I mean, just, just some tips, though, from, from our research, I suppose. I mean, you know, first of all, some of this is kind of obvious, but, you know, you do just have to have a really clear um, collective sense of, of, of purpose. Like what it, why, why was the devolution deal there entered into in the first place beyond the fact that the Prime Minister was, was keen on it? What, what, are those, uh, what is the added value that you can see having a, a new entity with the powers in the deal can bring to, to the region at that, at that strategic scale? What are the particular projects that this is going to help fund? What's the ways in which this is going to improve connectivity and uh, and and performance of transport and skills systems and, and the wider local economy across the region um, that has to be based on I think uh, you know a solid economic evidence base it's worth investing in that kind of capacity to work out where the real kind of benefits um, of yeah increasing links and investing in specific projects can can um, be be delivered, and then a lot of it is about the soft stuff as well. I mean, that's why you know we called it the art of the devolution. You know, that's the kind of point we made. There is a science to it. You need to have an effective institution with you know clear decision making processes. You need to think about scrutiny committees and how you're going to account to the public. How you're going to 
monitor and report on performance, all that kind of stuff. But there's an art to it as well. It's about it's about relationships. And if you don't have that existing, you know, long history of working together across that geography, then that takes time to build. You know, you need to invest in in building that trust, both at, trust both at the political level and and at the official level, and with wider stakeholders. To be honest, and it's a big big geography. So yeah, that that implies going out and about and making sure all bits of the region have a stake, um, and that requires a certain kind of leadership. So we'll see who your mayor is, but whoever it is, and the other local leaders do need to learn to lead um, in the way Richard was talking about, um, you know, as a team, because that's the, the, the model requires it. Decision-making requires consensus on many key, point, many key areas. So that's what I'd leave you with. Okay, I'm going to take another round of questions. We've got one here, uh, one here, and one here. Thank you. Sarah Viper, I'm the Chief Executive of the National Council for Voluntary Organisations. I um, really agree with lots of what the panel said. Um, and you talked a lot about local institutions, organisations, local government, universities. Don't think I heard anyone mention the voluntary sector, which is who are delivering lots of services locally, connecting communities, raising the voice of communities, and also um, bridging gaps across statutory institutions. Um, I just wondered what you see as kind of Labour's vision for working with the voluntary sector locally. Um, I guess a question particularly for you, Richard. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, George Poet, Society of uh, Labour Lawyers. I wanted to pick up on the fiscal devolution point made by both Jessica and um, Simon. Um, you, Jessica rightly made the point that the lo current local tax base is completely inadequate, but it's that sorting that out probably involve, it involves a whole lot of wider macroeconomic questions that are probably sort of beyond the scope of the discussion. But what you're going to need in any event, before you do that and even after you do that, is you need a mechanism for ensuring that um, central government funding is, while it remains, is, is, is properly and stably distributed. And even once you've got a proper local tax base, you'll need an e equalisation mechanism, as Jessica pointed out. What would that mechanism look like? What I would suggest is that you have a broad statute statutory duty to ensure that funding is distributed in accordance with uh, need and own resources. You could then probably flesh that out in statute by giving certain examples of what that meant. But you'd also then need a process to turn those principles literally into cash. And that process needs to be one that is not entirely controlled by Whitehall, which leads to the sorts of problems vividly illustrated by Rishi Sunak's infamous remark that he succeeded in removing resources from the inner cities and translating and moving them to Tory voting areas. So you need a, a mechanism that is, uh, has an independent element and a collaborative element. So uh, perhaps an independent body that reports and advises and a, a determination by a mixture of the local authorities and by the Secretary of State, but not a, not a process that's in simply in the control of the Secretary of State. And the final element of the jigsaw you need, which is George, so I'm going to have to is, is a proper audit commission, because you've seen the Teesside scandal, you've seen local authorities um, becoming insolvent because of completely inadvised investment. And you have a, a, a problem at the moment that a number of local authorities haven't had accounts um, for the last few years. And you have to have a proper audit commission that provides financial accountability. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay. Final question over here. 
the um, Tory government recently uh, changed the voting method for mayor um, elections. So they recognise that first past the post is in their interests both locally and nationally. That's why they did it. Uh, so we could end up in a different situation where the government owns an increasing number of strong mayors. So for me, um, nothing that we speak about, everything we're speaking about today is endowed by that. So it's a massive high priority to ensure that Labour will never come in when there's that voting system back to the supplementary votes, because there are labor mayors now in a position who would not have got in on the first place of the place. So we, we need to make that a priority. I personally think we need to do that in the country as well, but I think it's very it's a priority for the mayoral elections. Brilliant, thank you. Okay. Thanks. Richard, let me come to you first to respond to those. Okay, um, on the issue of voluntary organisations, um, I also didn't mention the role of business too, and I, I just want to say two things. Um, I'll come back to voluntary organisations because they are critical. This week, or last week, sorry, I set up a business advisory group. A set of business people are going to work with me on engaging the Labour front bench over the next few months, work with me on policy development and also on implementation, and I want the voluntary sector to play the same role. Um, I've spent the last 15 months travelling around the region and uh, visiting community groups and voluntary organisations, um, and most of them have become the safety net that prevent, well, the safety net that the, the, the state doesn't provide anymore. And if those organisations uh, fail, the communities they provide for fall over. And many of them are at a precipice and are dependent on voluntary funding and uncertain funding. Uh, one of my commitments about making sure the resources and money authority is spent as rapidly as possible and go to where they need it most involves the voluntary sector. So we're really clear about that. The voluntary sector is under more pressure uh, as a result of um, the cuts to local authority spending. So they are at the heart of what I do and will be involved in, in um, key decision-making processes. On um, fiscal devolution, uh, yeah, I do believe in it. I think the chances of getting it when we've had seven or eight years of little or no growth in this country are non-existent. I think we need to get a period of sustained growth. Uh, under the Labour government, we used to think we should be doing better when we consistently want two to two and a half percent growth a year. We've not had growth for eight years. The compound rate of loss is probably in excess of 20%. There's little chance, and we shouldn't be taxing people more at this point in time. Um, but I do think, I am hopeful that by the time we get to a second Labour term, we'll start having more proactive discussions on, on that. On the voting system, um, it's a less concern to me, very genuinely. Um, I've got to go out and persuade uh, electors to vote for me and actually vote in their election, which in itself has been pretty tough uh, in the first instance because of the, the ambiguity about the role. Um, and I know there are some mayors across the region that might be more dependent on um, the previous voting system, but um, as voters have proved in by elections over the last six to nine months, they're acutely aware of what way they need to vote if they want to uh, keep the Conservatives out of power. And I hope they make the same decision in West Midlands. Simon, I'm going to um, reframe George's uh, comment as a question. Do you agree with uh, with uh, what the, the kind of the, the mechanism that, that George outlined for? Uh, uh, a statutory duty. So probably a fairly nuanced take, I think. So I think 
when when thinking about funding, you also need to think through evaluation because they're fundamentally linked, and ultimately some of the you know interesting decisions about the evaluation of where money goes sort of leads to the inequality of funding at the baseline. So I think what we need to do is almost decouple a number of different elements. So I think there is making sure there is an equality of core public service provision across the country and a redistribution on that. And I think along those lines, what we need is a performance and evaluation framework that ensures standards, quality accountability across all of those core services. At the moment, we only have a lot of that standards and accountability in one area, which is social care. So that gets a lot of attention in the absence of then some of the other areas where we're starting to see issues around housing and homelessness and all of those other sort of challenges. So firstly, there's core public services and making sure that there is an equal basis across the country for the delivery of those. And then essentially, there is actually how do we prioritise the rest of the investment that we need for economic growth and where does that go and how does that kind of make sense so i think you can't uncouple funding from evaluation i think there is definitely a conversation around quality and standards and accountability within that um, and the sector definitely needs to be open to that conversation and sometimes it's not as open as it can be um, but uh, yeah that's probably as far as i take it Thank you, Jess. Um, yeah, just on the on the um, kind of fiscal demo point, but the, the there is a fair funding review that has been happening for the last eight years or something, and it's never reported, and it's kind of it competes with social care as being kicked into the long grass. And I think the ch one of the challenges is funding local areas is extremely politicised, and uh, the Conservative government when they got in removed the needs based funding formula, which they thought disproportionately benefited labour areas that were more urban, uh, higher, higher levels of deprivation, and there's potentially a sense amongst some in the party that a Labour government would come in and reinstate needs-based funding formula. I think it does need to stop being a kind of political football and that, that kind of sense of how it shifts according to which government is in power. Uh, there is a, there is a, um, a case for it to being uh, non-partisan and, and looking assessed at needs because there are some areas, counties, for example, which tend to be more Tory but also are really on the brink. Um, there, just one thing, though, about statutory duties. I think well, there's a lot of statutory duties. It's very easy to create statutory duties with the no funding to meet those statutory duties. Um, and that's a real problem because local authorities just get taken to court and ju judicially reviewed at great expense. Um, in Germany, uh, where they do have a decent level of fiscal uh, devolution, there is a constitutional requirement for government to ensure a fair level of living standards across the country. So I think the, the, the requirement needs to be on central government to allocate funding in order to guarantee some level of quality of life for the citizens of the country. And it's from there that there's a requirement to then fund fund areas sufficiently to kind of meet those. And I think if you decouple it and make it a, a, a kind of duty on a particular element of public services, like social care duty, um, that just creates a whole, a whole set of expectations raised and and still not still not meeting the problem. Jack, um, coming to you, Marsh, should Labour reverse changes to voting system? Oh, that's the one I don't think I'll to take. <laughs> can, can I swear that and speak about fiscal devolution? Um, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think there's a risk of con conflating some issues um, here. On the local government finance picture, I think what we clearly need is some in independence, and there's a role for an organisation like 
local government association to co-determine what that funding settlement looks like. In Australia, for example, they have a, an independent committee that makes those decisions uh, with government. I think the challenge with fiscal devolution uh, is that we often try and reach for levers, a tourist tax, 1% of income tax that places retain, etc. And what we see in, in Scotland and elsewhere was that the starting point was a set of principles, the Smith Commission in 2014 in the case of Scotland. Uh, and actually, there are some, some big challenges around fiscal devolution, largely those, those two key ones. What do fiscal transfers look like? And how do we devolve without exacerbating inequalities? And I think there's a kind of risk there that we, we don't think through enough the implications of fiscal devolution. And so I think Labour are quite reluctant at to think about uh, some of that. So just while I advocate being quite radical on that, we, we need to think through um, that process. Thank you. Right, Akash, I'm going to throw the, uh, the voting question to you instead. Thanks, yeah, I'll be very quick. I'd, I'd love to have another hour on fiscal devolution, but I'll, I'll still stuck that one. Um, on electoral reform, I mean, there's a party political question whether a change would help Labour. That's not really for me to comment on. But my, my view, and we've said it in IFG reports, is that... <clears throat> The supplementary vote, or AV, alternatively, I think is better suited specifically to the Metro Mayor model because, as we were talking about before, to be effective as a Metro Mayor, you really have to be able to reach out across party lines to supporters of other, of other parties um, to build that consensus for, for your vision because you're not a powerful executive mayor a bit different in London, but in the Metro Mayor model, you can't just come in and stamp your feet and get everything done. If you have people end up getting elected on 30-odd percent of the vote, maybe just concentrated in one part of the region, I really do think first-past-the-post could, could um, undermine their effectiveness. So for that good IFG effective government reason, I would encourage Labour to reverse that. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay, well, I think we're at time. We're a couple of minutes over, so I'm going to have to draw the event to a close there. Thank you very much to Grant Thornton for making this event possible. Thank you to our fantastic panel, and thank you to you, the audience, for a brilliant set of questions. Thanks. Thank you.